Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorian Kundik. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our topic for discussion today, combating your stealth trust crisis. Despite what many employee surveys seem to say, trust is at an all-time low, and it's feeding crises of both engagement and attrition. Now is the time for leaders to take note and start communicating in ways that help repair that trust before it's too late. My guest for today is Alex Earle, who is one of our leading experts on all things internal and leadership communications. She also chairs our annual Gartner Marketing and Communications Awards, which you'll be hearing more about later on, and a longtime colleague of mine as well. So Alex, welcome, and do you mind introducing yourself for just a moment? Thanks, Dorian. Yes, very excited to be here. Um, So yes, I'm Alex Earle. I'm one of the senior advisors in the uh, communications part of our marketing communications practice. Um, like you say, specializing more in internal communications and leadership comms. So yeah, I've been advising clients for over 10 years in communications. And prior to that, I was supporting heads of HR. So quite a nice transition from HR to comms, given the, the overlap in many of the challenges that they face. And I can imagine, especially since the pandemic kicked off a couple of years ago, you've been having a lot of conversations about leadership communications, right? You've been very in demand. Oh, goodness. Yes, absolutely. Um, the pandemic definitely encouraged communications to you know, tap into the leadership suite much more than they had done so before. Um, and so we've had many conversations about how they can support employees through change, through transition, through even more change, and really think about um, how they can have a greater presence in the organization. So if you're a leader, listen to what Alex says. And if you work with leaders, this is your chance to get direct line of sight into what's in their heads. She's a good person to be talking to us. So Alex, I want to go ahead and start off with this, this idea of a stealth trust crisis. Mm. It, would, it would seem like organizations would know if they were having major trust problems, but apparently this is something that can kind of sneak up on you. What's What's going on here? Yeah, so a lot of organizations are running employee engagement surveys, which often run by HR, but and like this is where I said about this, this close connection between HR and communications. Communications often throws questions into the mix or is running that engagement survey themselves. And some, some organizations will directly ask about trust, but not always in the right way. We, we see a lot of questions that are not as neatly structured as what they could be and can not always reveal that there are those kind of issues of trust. So I've seen you know, surveys where they're talking about trust, but it's around, I trust the communications from my leader, not necessarily, I trust those leaders. And when you dig a bit deeper, you actually see that employees are saying, hmm, I don't really trust the strategic direction that the organization is going in, or I don't necessarily trust that the decisions are being made correctly at the organization, all of which really indicates there is that lack of trust in leaders. So it's something that more organizations need to pay attention to because the benefits of trust are huge. And if trust continues to be at an all-time low in organizations, then we are going to see just even more of that lack of engagement, which hits performance in a negative perspective, and also can lead to attrition, which no one needs even more attrition, especially as we're really experiencing that great resignation right now. 
it was interesting to me, like you had just shared a recent conversation you'd had with a client where they looked at their survey results and walked away saying trust is super high. And you looked through the survey with them and said, actually, let's talk about this a little bit. So is there really just that red herring in the surveys where we're asking about trust in a way that's disconnect from what, disconnected from what we think it actually is? Most surveys provide the opportunity for employees to share their verbatim comments. And it's there where I'm seeing time and time again, engagement surveys that employees are saying, I don't know who the leaders are. I don't hear from them. They're not visible. Or we do hear from them, but that's it. We hear from them, but they don't hear from us. And I don't necessarily trust the decisions that they're making or the path that we're going in. And there's no opportunity to have that two-way dialogue or hear greater context behind some of those decisions to reassure me that they have made those right decisions. So you had made a really great point just generally about survey design, uh, that engagement surveys in general are problematic because they only ask about those things that whoever designed the survey thinks are important, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me about what we need to think about if we're going to build a survey that actually stands a chance of asking the right things in the right way, getting the type of insight we need to track these issues. Mm. Well, first of all, I think we need to not limit ourselves to only using surveys to collect information and feedback from our employees to really understand what's going on in the organization. I think that's a mistake that a lot of organizations make. So engagement surveys are great, absolutely in that they are scalable, you can get a lot of feedback from a lot of people potentially, and you can also benchmark quantitatively those results year on year and see how your organization is progressing and evolving. However, like you just said, we're only getting the answers to the questions that we think are important. We're not really getting into what's actually on the minds of our employees unless we're having a dialogue with them or unless we're providing more of those opportunities for listening. So one of the best cases and examples that I've seen is from an organization where they've really fostered this culture of listening by building in these listening exchange sessions where leaders are coming into a team meeting, not their own team, a different part of the business, And all they have to do is sit and listen and just make some notes on kind of the themes that they're hearing. So that's a great way of providing employees with the opportunity to talk about what's working, what's not working, what's on their mind, what are their challenges, and for leaders to kind of really see and get really see what's happening at grassroots and gain much greater insights into what's in the minds of employees um, and develop much greater empathy, which can then help inform the way in which they communicate with employees. So it really enables that two-way dialogue. They can talk much more authentically about some of the challenges in the organization if they've actually been exposed to them firsthand. So I think that is something that organizations need to think more about is how do we supplement and complement our surveys by gaining information and insights from employees firsthand. And then that, if you do that over a period of time, you continue doing that, that can then help inform the types of questions that you want to put in your survey anyway, because you've got much more of your finger on the pulse of what's going on and what you need to kind of pressure test for. Yeah, and one of the big advantages of this type of kind of fly on the wall listening, right, just really absorbing and paying attention, hearing how people naturally talk as much as possible. Not only are they surfacing those issues that you might not realize are actually grassroots level issues, but you're able to really mine the vocabulary 
right? Like mm-hmm. hear how they talk about things, hear the words they use. And that serves leaders well in a lot of ways. And I would think particularly when you turn to those surveys and so much can be misunderstood in how you say things. So you have a much better chance of coming across as authentic and saying things in ways that won't be misinterpreted. So mm-hmm. focusing back on trust, uh, Houston, we've got a problem. That's what the data tell us, right? So <laughs> let's turn towards what we can do about it. Um, I think it helps to start with being crystal clear on what you even mean by trust. It's kind of a loaded word, right? How does the research define trust specifically? That's a great question. And what we found when we were conducting our research is that lots of different organizations talk about trust in different ways. So we made sure that first of all, we've got kind of grounded our research in um, a definition. First of all, trust starts with my belief about a person or an institution's intentions and reliability. So assuming I deem them legit, that leads me to the second part, which is a very specific type of action, which is the willingness to give up some of my personal control over a future situation to a person or an institution. So there's quite a nice analogy here as we think about a commuter waiting for a bus. They believe that the bus is going to come, right? And they believe that, you know, the bus will be well maintained, that the bus driver will know how, how to get to that end destination and that the, the bus driver's got some experience and that it's going to get that person safely and on time to their destination. So for that reason, you believe all of that. So the action that you then take is you climb cheerfully aboard um, and you essentially put the logistics in your life in the bus driver's hand. So we're essentially in an organization, we're asking employees to essentially like hop on and ride with us. But what we're finding is that so few employees actually trust the organization that they're saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'd rather stand here and wait in the rain. And that's the problem that we've got is that too few employees are trusting the organization. And also there's this really, really tight correlation between um, organizations and leaders. So if they don't trust their organizations, they're also not trusting leaders. Hmm. It's one and the same thing for employees. So basically we're saying hop on the trust bus. I like that. I'm christening it the trust bus because it sounds great. (laughs) We want them to hop on the trust bus. So we're going to talk about what this looks like over the next few minutes. But just to frame up the conversation a little bit, um, I do want to make the point that we're going to be talking a lot about communicators here because they're kind of the keepers of the hearth on leadership communications. But this crisis of trust and this chance to shore it up a bit is something that, of course, affects leaders all across our organizations. And Going into a new year is probably a really great time for them to pay closer attention to this. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of organizations are in the midst of strategic planning. They're announcing their results for the end of the year. This is their opportunity to engage employees, you know, reassure them and retain them and make sure they want to come back after Christmas and the new year. And that They want to be part of that organization. So as they think about, you know, end of year announcements, beginning of year strategy sessions where they're really trying to kind of engage and motivate their employees this is the real there's the time to get it right and we've seen lots of attempts from organizations at trying to get it right but very few organizations really hitting the nail on the head so let's go ahead and get into what the research tells us about building trust we're going to really focus in on how leaders can build trust but the research surfaced that really important point that you mentioned a little bit earlier that trust in the organization and trust in leadership really travel together. And I want to just unpack that for just a moment 
because there are some serious implications for how leaders think about communicating if they understand that high trust in one leads to high trust in the other and flagging trust one leads to flagging trust. It's a reality they need to be aware of. Is there a false sense of security for leaders sometimes? Yeah, I think it is. I think they think, okay, they don't trust the organization, but surely they trust leaders because, you know, we're really competent and we're really visible. But actually, competence is not the issue. Visibility is not the issue. It's the fact that two employees, their leaders are the organization, right? So if they don't feel that they can trust their leaders to make the right decisions or if they understand why leaders have made certain decisions, then it's really difficult for them to kind of jump on that bus bus that you just point. And I think particularly right now, as we're in, you know, a situation where we're in an economic crisis, you know, we are in uh, a cost of living crisis. Lots of organizations are showing, you know, fantastic profits or they're showing, you know, we need to make cost efficiencies and decisions in different places. And I think it's very hard for employees to kind of trust that their organization is going in the right direction and to feel proud of their organization as well if they don't understand why their leaders have made the decisions that they have and pursuing the direction that they are. And we're going to start breaking some of that down in more detail over the next few minutes as well. Let's go ahead and talk trust in leaders. Uh, I imagine there are a lot of factors that go into building people's trust in their leaders, but the research really surfaces two that are particularly impactful and actionable. And you've already kind of mentioned them in passing in different forms. Um, They are what I will call reimagined dialogue and then increased visibility into how leaders are arriving at their decisions. So I'd love to just take these in turn because I think they really provide an immediate path forward for really shoring up trust intentionally, right? So starting with dialogue, you know, communicators have been really focused on dialogue for years now, so that's not really new. But what the research seems to be calling for is a bit of a variation on what they've been doing, right? Perhaps the most basic shift is what you called a radical reallocation of time spent in dialogue. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we think a lot of organizations have recognized that two-way dialogue is important, but then they're still kind of spending too much time on that dialogue coming from leaders and not enough of the two-way element from it. So in a typical town hall, for example, you know, we see our leaders come together with employees. They are providing what they think are good opportunities for two-way dialogue, but essentially out of a 60-minute meeting is 45 minutes of one leader or a couple of leaders talking at employees with maybe 10 to 15 minutes max at the end of that meeting for employees to ask any questions, often which are you know, highly moderated, filtered out, and only focus on those questions that they think that the executives are probably going to feel comfortable answering. So where we've seen much better examples is where that agenda is essentially turned on its head. And you're saying, you know, 15 minutes of, and not just one leader, but maybe multiple leaders kind of talking about a particular topic and then opening up the discussion and spending that 45 minutes for Q&A, for giving employees really the opportunity to ask those questions and hear directly live from their leaders. So I mean, we- that sounds that sounds a little extreme. That's a big flip. Um, <laughs> I can see people feeling uncomfortable with that or maybe being met with some awkward silence by stunned employees who aren't used to that allocation. Um, how do people react to that? How do you see that 
playing out? Because it sounds pretty extreme, but you're kind of saying, actually, this is going to be a formula for success. Is it that extreme? I don't think so. I think there are plenty of opportunities for leaders to be sharing information with employees on a regular basis. This is their opportunity to kind of hear what's really on their mind and what's the degree to which they understand what's going on. It's all very well. We're just going to share the strategy now. Go ahead and get on with it. But if no one understands that strategy, believe me, no one's doing anything different. And therefore, your strategy is not going to be achieved. So this is the important part is to have the dialogue, understand, you know, what have your employees heard? How have they interpreted that information? Do we need to provide additional clarification? It's not just it's not just all the questions. If you think about the time that it's going to take for leaders to kind of respond back to those questions and kind of have that to and fro to really clarify um, and make sure that employees have got that good understanding, that is more of a dialogue. You talk to a lot of communications leaders about their dialogue efforts. How do most of them seem to be doing here? Are they headed in the right direction or are there some patterns you see, uh, things that are consistently tripping them up? in having better dialogue? It's generally the leaders talk more than they listen, or it's directed at too few employees. You see, oh, the C-suite are doing a listening tour. You know, they've met with a few representatives from each business unit, and it's not really representative of what the rest of employees feel. And it's not giving employees more generally the opportunity to have that live dialogue with executives. So that can be an issue. And and obviously, when you've got so many employees who are non-wired, who are widely dispersed, who are now hybrid workers, it doesn't give them that kind of that feeling that they've really kind of heard and connected with leaders. So I think it's the they talk too much and don't listen enough and they don't involve enough employees in that. I just want to focus on the non-wired for just a moment. That seems like a really big issue there. I find that really curious uh, because connecting with non-wired employees seems to always be a pressing priority for organizations. How on earth are they overlooking targeting that group in particular, in particular when it comes to dialogue? Is it just because it's so hard to do? Pretty much every organization that has non-wired workers has a comms expert asking that particular question. They know it's important. They completely recognize it. It's they feel like they're banging their head against a brick wall trying to convince leaders and managers to build in time to have those, those discussions with them. Managers are a crucial channel because they can help filter out a lot of the noise, but they're mostly their only channel to get information from, right? They haven't got laptops. You know, they're not sitting there, like I say, accessing email, accessing the internet. So, you know, beyond, you know, signage, um, what their manager is telling them is, is the, the main route to connecting with them. But I don't think enough organizations are allocating time for those leaders or those managers, whether it's in pre or post shift briefings to have the right kind of conversations with them. You know, I, I think all of us know the feeling of, you know, someone comes to us and, and asks our advice, right? And then they seem to completely ignore it. And that makes us not want to share our thoughts or our opinions or our, our advice on things. Um, do we run into this a little bit with this dialogue dynamic? Do, do, do organizations sometimes have trouble closing the loop? Some organizations are starting to get better at it, but for the most part, a lot of time is spent on you know, writing survey questions, 
trying to show that they've got an increase in participation rates, looking at the results, talking about it with leaders, and then, like you say, not closing the loop with employees and showing them, you know, you said we did effectively. Um, And it needs to be, you said, this is what we're doing. This is what we're considering. This is what we can't do. This You need to provide much more transparency into kind of what's happening there. But also, this is how you can contribute and kind of, like I said earlier, crowdsourcing those ideas, involving employees and trying to find um, answers and solutions to particular challenges. You'll you'll close those, those solutions much faster and you'll have advocates who are going to help you move those forward within the organization. So closing the loop is a is still a huge challenge. Organizations are not doing it well enough. By the way, that's just great psychology and great messaging. You said we did use it for parenting, right? Like take credit for what you're doing. You said we did good, clear communication. I love that. Um, Alex, you had mentioned one potential point of pushback that I thought was really important. And it's a real concern that of meeting overload, right? I think a lot of times communicators are kind of afraid to ask for that extra time to facilitate dialogue in certain ways, for instance, with non-wired employees, right? Uh, They're trying to be sensitive to everybody being exhausted. And frankly, it's probably hard sometimes to get leaders bought into the idea of even more meetings. But then the alternative is more emails. (laughs) and That's not much better. Tell me your thoughts on that. Yes, absolutely. I think we think, well, email is free, email is scalable, let's send it out, then everybody can just read it. But that's not the way to communicate key messages. And especially with all of the change that's going on in organizations right now, you can't just communicate a big change over email. It's a one size fits all. It's a one way dialogue stream. It doesn't allow for those questions. It doesn't help you to get employees out of that fight or flight mode. So have a dialogue with them that enables managers to contextualize it for their employees. This is what it means for us. I mean, how many times have we had you know, a corporate email which basically tells us in a lot of corporate jargon you know, what's going on in the organization and we think, okay, well, we just talked about you know, cost-cutting and sustainability and we're talking about the macroeconomic environment, but I actually have come away from this email. I have no idea what this actually means. Do you need me to do anything different? Do I need to start, stop, or do anything different here? This has no relevance to me. It's not targeted. But leaders and managers can do that. If leaders feel equipped and comfortable talking about the changes and important messages to their managers, they can equip managers to have those conversations with their teams. They can say, Durian, in light of this recent change, what I need you to do is X, Y, and Z, but have a conversation about it so I can, you know, alleviate any fears or concerns that you might have, answer any specific logistical questions around it, and make sure that you walk out of that meeting knowing, I know exactly what I need to do, and I know how to do it, and I have the tools and resources to be able to go and do that. It also allows for storytelling, a much more targeted storytelling. Storytelling is a great way to boost capability. We're going through change. A lot of organizations focus on, let's get you committed to that change. That's not enough. You focus on boosting people's capability to adapt to the change, that's how you're going to drive change in the organization. So leaders who have dialogue with managers and managers who have dialogue with their teams are much like, more likely to be able to say, Dorian, you've been through this before. You know, don't you remember what you did before? You can do this again. Or remember how others on the team or other teams, this is how they approach. This is what we can learn from them. So you can do this too. Or here are the tools, the resources, the networks, the people 
who can help you? Let me put you in touch with those. It enables that opportunity to have a dialogue rather than I'm just going to tell you what the change is in an email and then just expect that A, you've read it, unlikely, especially when I've seen the length of some of these and Mm -hmm. the language that's used in it, and B, that you're doing anything different off the back of it. Dark confessions time. Uh, I teach corporate communications for a living, as do you, and I don't always read emails. Yeah, Sometimes I don't open them. (laughs) So if I don't immediately see that it's relevant to me, my reaction is, if it's important, my manager will tell me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's how the rest of the world runs. So don't tell anybody, but that's my dark confession for the day. All right. I want to go ahead and shift gears to that second trust builder, providing employees with a little or maybe a lot more visibility into how leaders are arriving at those decisions. And you've been alluding to this all along, but I really want to focus in on this. Tell me about that, this idea of providing greater visibility into how leaders are arriving at their decisions. That's more than just giving a little context or giving some rationale, right? It's kind of this deeper level. When decisions are made, it's it can often be you know very on very difficult for employees to kind of get on board if they're just told kind of you know, this is the decision that's been made. So, you know, I say to you, Dorian, you are moving to Ireland to start a new job and you've got no context for why you're having to move there, what you're expected to do. What I would probably say yes, you. though, just just for the record. That sounds <laughs> great. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Whereas if you rewind and say, OK, as part of the growth in the organization, this is where we need to kind of grow our, fo- our footprint, grow our customer base. Think about our employee branding for all of these multiple reasons. And these are the things that we considered, but they're not actually where we're going to act upon. And for these reasons, this is why we're looking to to move to Ireland. And this is why we need you to go there. So by the time you've provided that information, it's much easier for you to get on board with that decision because you've got that bigger picture. You understand what's going on in the organization. And it helps you to really trust, you know, that leaders know what they're doing and the direction the organization is going in. I want to focus in a little bit on how this dynamic can be so potentially damaging if we're not having the right type of communication here, right? Um, I can imagine that in times of uncertainty, and I feel comfortable suggesting that these are in fact officially times of uncertainty for us all, uh, organizations kind of get tied into a communications pretzel, right? Because when things are topsy-turvy, employees tend to kind of lock up and dig in until they get answers or reassurance so they can move forward. And leaders are simultaneously shying away from communicating more than they absolutely have to because they don't know all the answers or because they don't want to have to reverse themselves or because they're dealing with really sensitive topics, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good reasons, but it's, it's still causing a problem. So you can end up with employees looking to leaders for this heart-to-heart just as those leaders are starting to dodge hard conversations or slipping into command and control mode. So it's this really unfortunate mismatch of impulses (laughs) during change. I don't know what else to call it. Um, And none of this bodes well for engagement or productivity, certainly not for trust. What have you observed here? It's it's just this this ongoing dynamic that we deal with over and over again, human nature. It is. And I think, so a few things, I guess, to respond to here. When we were conducting our research around trust, a lot of the the responses that were coming back and verbatim feedback was, you know, I see our executives sitting behind locked doors and they're not sharing information with us. And so that makes employees feel anxious 
they don't know what to think. And like I say, they start going into kind of fight or flight mode when there might be nothing for them to kind of worry about at all. It's much better to kind of communicate and provide visibility and transparency so that you can at least kind of alleviate some of those fears. So you think about Maslow's hierarchy and everyone's thinking about kind of like their basic needs. And if you're telling them kind of where you are and at least telling them kind of what you know and what you don't know, that can kind of help people worrying about the kind of the uncertainty and kind of moving on. So there's there's a really, really simple model that I often suggest that, suggest that clients use with their leaders, which is that whole, this is what I know, this is what I don't know right now, and this is what I want you to kind of know, feel, and do as a result. So, you know, yes, I know that we've just been bought. No, I don't know what that's going to mean for the workforce. I don't know what it means for our brand, what it means for our products, but I want you to know that we will keep you posted every step of the way. I want you to continue to kind of feel proud of the organization that we're in, that we've been purchased because we were a great organization and we're great because of the people who work here. And I need you to just do your job and just continue as usual, because that's what's going to help us maintain being a high performing organization and ensure that you know we're moving forwards. So it helps leaders have that more authentic conversation. Now, the other thing that can help leaders do that is if they know that their peers are answering questions and talking about things in a similar way. You know, when you've made a major announcement, when you've got information about change, when you've shared this information with leaders, don't just expect that they're going to then have a great conversation with their managers and their teams that same day. They won't. They they won't. I'm just going to give the answer now. They won't. (laughs) They will procrastinate big time because they've not had the chance to internalize and digest it and think about it. And they're worried about how they're going to talk about it. And they're worried about the questions that they're going to have. So they don't have those conversations. And at best, they might just forward that PowerPoint presentation to their managers and say, FYI. And then, of course, managers don't read it anyway. And that's where, you know, we have see this permafrost and this break in the cascade of information across an organization. So much better to run what we call these peer dialogue sessions where you bring leaders together in a safe space. And that can be live or that can be virtual. Move them into breakout rooms, small groups, get them to focus on three things. Number one, from what we've just heard. What are we skeptical about? What are we worried or anxious about? What do we have questions about and need more information on? Number two, okay, what are the benefits, the opportunities that this is going to bring to the organization? Let's think constructively. This is happening. So what does this mean for us moving forwards? And then thirdly, what is my team or my business unit? What are the people within that group? What are they going to need to know? And what are the questions that they're going to ask? And this gives leaders the opportunity to brainstorm around those questions, brainstorm around those answers, so that when they come out of that session, they feel much more credible and competent and confident to discuss this with their unit and to know that their peers are going to be answering those questions in a very similar way. So they don't feel caught off guard and they feel less likely to you know, go lock themselves away in a room and not talk to their employees, but to actually come out and have that dialogue and provide that visibility. I love that. And I love those constructs you're providing in terms of here's what we know, here's what we don't know. What are your people going to ask you, right? Just some really good practical things to help them feel a little more ready for what are just going to be tough conversations. There's there's no way around it, but it's worse to not have those conversations, right? Um, looking a little bit more at that, you know, how we provide that visibility into decisions that's a little bit different. Um, some things the research had brought up that really caught my attention. Um, just explaining, here's the decision we made, the, av- the avenues that we've gone down, and here's why we chose to go down that. Here are the various factors that we weighed, right? Because people always come back and say, but but, but didn't you know, or didn't you understand that? Or were you aware of this? 
You're just saying, yes, we know, we understand, we heard, we're aware, and we thought of all that, but this is where we've landed. Just let them know what the thought process was. Um, one other, and I'd love your thought on this, I, I love this idea of an if-then construct, right? So a lot of times we don't know where things are going to lead. You know, how is inflation going to play out? <laughs> and so we're making these decisions based on this information that we have at this time. If things shift, if inflation continues to rise, then we will A, B, C, and D. Mm. Yeah, no, I really like that because it helps employees kind of see the direction the organization may go in if situations change. And you know, one of the things that we've developed and we share with communicators all the time is kind of like this sort of strategy learning narrative framework, which kind of breaks, helps leaders break down the strategy into different parts and helps employees think about, okay, what's the macroeconomic um, uh, context right now and how does this impact the organization? But it takes into consideration change. So Okay, we might have explained kind of you know, what the, the way of the world right now and how it's impacting the organization. Then it gives the opportunity to say, like you were just saying, if inflation continues or if we see we see um, greater pressures on supply and demand, this is what we will be doing. And this is what you can expect to see. And all the time it's providing that that context and that visibility. So employees feel more equipped and ready that. If the strategy changes, if the direction of the organization changes, they know what's expected of them and what they need to do and what it means for them. And it lets leaders off the hook, right? Because they can't know the end from the beginning. Of course, they're going to change course if certain things shift. So instead of feeling sheepish about that or being worried that it would you know, tarnish your brand as a strong, I guess, all-knowing leader, just be transparent about that, right? Here are the things we're considering. If they shift, we'll make certain changes. So I love that. I think it takes a little bit of pressure off of everybody to have that kind of exchange. Um, I am curious whether communicators have a bit of an uphill battle on this front right now with leadership communications generally. You, As you mentioned earlier, leadership comms was such a high priority during the first phase of the pandemic. Um, and then everybody got a little bit burned out, right? You and I were both on a lot of calls with communicators. And a few months in, everybody was like, we can't handle one more leadership video. Like no one's watching them anymore. Just everybody got super burned out, understandably. What are you seeing now? Is there still appetite from leaders to kind of be coached on this and put themselves out there? Are communicators still focused on this or have they moved on to other things? Like I could see it being a little bit the focus of, of the moment. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to other things, but this needs to be always on. What what are you seeing and how, how do they need to be thinking about it? A couple of trends that I'm seeing. One is that with the increase in sort of hybrid and remote working, it, communicators are spending a lot of time thinking about digital channels and peer-to-peer channels, mm-hmm. thinking about how we can enable peers to connect with each other more frequently, more easily. And you know, that is really important. You know, you don't want people kind of feeling siloed because they're not all sitting in an office together. You want them to feel that they can be connected. But they're spending a lot of time thinking about that and enabling peers to connect with each other, but have taken kind of their foot off the gas in terms of how do we then enable employees to still hear from and connect with and ask questions to leaders. So, for example, in our latest um, benchmarking report that we did on channels, when we surveyed employees, and we asked about kind of current reach, only 24% of employees said that they really heard from their senior leaders. Oh, and wow. yet 38% of them 
would would choose that as a channel in their top three. So there's there is a gap between kind of the, the current reach and preferred usage. So employees want to hear more from leaders. So you know we've we've seen kind of leaders saying, oh, we don't need to do a town hall as often. We don't need to do this. It's just really thinking about what's the right cadence, what's the right opportunities, and also making sure that those interactions are dynamic and you know and they and they are two way. So Alex, what can Gartner clients expect moving forward in terms of support on this front? So we've got our new research on information overload or alleviating information overload will be coming out in the first quarter um, of next year. So that will have some great um, data evidence, but also kind of solutions and tactics that will hopefully really help kind of reinvent the way in which we're thinking about communication and noise in the organization so definitely look out for that um the channel benchmarking survey is available now and that has some um you know, detailed leveled insights into you know, preferences of non-wide workers for example but also different um, generations so definitely check that out um, but then clients or non-clients for everybody um, also look out for the Ghana marketing communications awards which is open right. to entries so if you've been listening to all of this and think, this is a walk in the park. We are amazing at driving trust in our organization. Our employee experience is just um, fantastic in our organization. Or yes, we know how to you know, measure the impact of our success and report that back and really tie what we're doing in communications to business outcomes. We want to hear about that. This is your opportunity to showcase your great achievements, to really put your brand out there, and show the rest of the world what you can do. So look online, Google Marketing and Communications Awards at Gartner 2023. We have 13 categories, spans across marketing communications, lots of opportunities to showcase your work. So if, like I say, you've been listening to all this and you think we've totally cracked leadership communication and trust, tell us about it. We want to hear from you. Alex Earl, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Hashtags. We hope to see you on a future episode. Take care. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.